Greetings and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 40 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement, and life mission. And my name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, before we jump into the interview with Beth Backus, we're going to spend some time once again with our friend Dick Foth on Back Channel with Foth. Dick, it's so great to be back with you again today. Tremendous to see your smiling face, even though the folks can't see it. I get to see you. <laughs> well, that, that is the value of Zoom from uh, Boise, uh, Idaho to Antananarivo, uh, Madagascar. And having a, a conversation is, uh, is uh, puts a smile on my face for sure. Um, Dick, one of the first questions I'm sent in was, I received was, what are some practical things we can do to show value to people in a way that they feel valued? I was I was sitting with our third daughter and her husband who live here in near Boise, Idaho last night and I said this is one of the questions they're going to ask me and my my son-in-law said to me well you remember their names and he's in marketing wow. and sales and content marketing and he said you know studies have shown that people uh know that they're valued when somebody actually remembers their name. Hmm. And he, he was just saying to me, he said, you know, I have terrible time with names, faces I got, but the, but the name thing is a challenge. And sometimes in order to do that, I will have people repeat their names again. Hmm. The other day, Ruth and I were going Chick-fil-A here, and, and I, I'm sorry to bring that up for all the missionaries around <laughs> the world. <laughs> We were going through, and of course, everybody's got masks on, and they do a great job of standing in the lanes as you're driving through. And this this young man said, Pastor Dick. And I, of course, I don't know who this young fellow is, so I asked him his name. He told me, well, it didn't stick. So the next time I went through, which is a few days later, I said, tell me your full name. And he told me his full name. And oftentimes I will do that. So remembering people's names gives them value. Communicating with them in unique ways. Uh, Ruth has eight people. She has several family members and about five older women that she has known for many years across the country who are shut in. Uh, they're widows, actually. And every Sunday night, she writes them letters. She goes, she says, I have to write my letters. She goes and sits down at the computer and writes them all the same letter about wow. what her week has been, what the Sunday morning message was, some points from that, a scripture. And, and she doesn't get responses uh, simply because people at that age don't communicate in that way. But recently, one of them, uh, the, one of them passed away, and her husband, who's in his 90s, at the service said uh, sort of abashedly, is it, is it possible that that you might keep writing me because I used to read your letters to Eileen every wow. week. And she said, absolutely. And this is a couple we've known since they, wow. we were church planters and he was a football coach. So, wow. and then the other way to make folks feel value is when you have conversation, ask them, ask them their thoughts on a particular issue, hmm. you know, like just whatever it is to be yeah. able to ask people their thoughts um, honestly, in the sense of uh, authentically uh, ask for their opinion or their insights. So that's, I think those would be two or three practical things. Names, letters in a, in a time of texting and emails, snail mail 
has a much more powerful effect. That's good. That's good. And it also costs you three bucks a pop. But other than that. <laughs> my struggle is nobody can read my handwriting. So I got to slow down yeah, and write, write slow. Just, yeah, but I do, okay. I, I do agree with you 100%, Dick. I mean, I, I, I get a letter. I keep it in my drawer. I get an email or a text. Uh, I'll probably never refer back to it. But the, those, those letters, they, they mean a lot. Dick, the next question is along the similar lines. Um, what practices have you put into place in your life so that you're able to see people and so that they, they feel seen. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, again, I was sitting last evening with our daughter and son-in-law and I said, I, I don't know how to answer this question. And our, my daughter said immediately, you always answered the phone when we called as family. Hmm. He said, if you were in a meeting, you always made exception for us. When we called, you let us know that, that we were important by answering the phone. And of course, we live in a day, especially with younger generations, where phone is not the deal. I yeah. mean, you have a phone, but that's your computer for texting or for video <laughs> stuff, you know, playing Angry Birds. And um, the, the, so I've, I found that interesting. That was her perception. Yeah. The other thing I think for people to feel seen again, when you ask somebody history questions. Hmm. So when we first met by Zoom, you know, I didn't know you, you didn't know me. And I said, so where's home for you? Really? And you said, Wiley Ford, Pennsylvania, or yeah. excuse me, Wiley Ford, West Virginia. Yeah. So I went, I, I thought you said Wallingford. So I went on and there was no Wallingford. Like there was a Wallingford, Kentucky and Wallingford, Connecticut. <laughs> and you had to explain it to me one more time. But when you ask people history questions, what you're doing is reading. Mm. Um, I, I see people, you know, my, my friend Batterson says, when you have a book in your library, it's, the, it's two years of somebody's life. Mm. So if I see Aaron Santemeyer as a book, how do I turn the pages? First of all, your book is a combination of a diary, uh, you know, that's the calendar. This is what happened on a given day. Yeah. And a journal, which is your perceptions about what happened on a given day. Hmm. And, and the thing that helps people turn the pages and change sections or chapters is questions. So learning to ask questions about history that aren't threatening uh, help people feel seen. They might start believing that you're really interested in them. Yeah. If you say, you know, like, what's the, what was the, the, the coolest place in your town when you were a, a teenager? And yeah. I may have said this before on the program, but I love, I asked a guy from Oklahoma that one time and he said, there was no cool place in our town. <laughs> we had to go to the next town. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if, if a person is a book, and that's not inanimate. It's a living book with skin on it. The way I turn the pages is by asking questions. And that's what makes authenticity and relationship possible. And people feel seen because they are being seen. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I think if anything I've learned today, well, people long for those authentic relationships and um, that interaction and learning to ask those questions. But that, that takes work, doesn't it, Dick? I mean, to, to ask those questions, it, it, maybe it comes natural to some people. But for me, 
I have to be intentional about asking those questions because a lot of times I'll find myself just wanting to talk. And um, it's hard to learn about other people when I'm doing all the talking and uh, not asking the questions. So, <laughs> Right. No, that's well, good. Well, Dick, we appreciate you uh, once again sharing your wisdom and insight and uh, on Back Channel with Foth. We're going to jump into our interview today with Beth Backus on the growth area growth capacity of leadership intelligence, demonstrating the characteristics of an effective leader. Beth serves as the pastoral care and ministry director for the Northwest Network. We discuss urban ministry, female leadership, and how Beth learns and grows as a leader. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. I'm so excited to be here today with a new friend, Beth Backus. And uh, we just got spent a few minutes to get to know each other a little bit and looking forward to having this conversation. She comes highly recommended um, from, from other ladies that have recommended her. And uh, so we're look, I'm looking forward to learning from her wisdom, her insight, and her experience. Beth, would you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience just so that we can, uh, so they can know just a little bit more about you before we jump into the conversation? Sure. Well, hey, it's great being here with you, Aaron, and appreciate the opportunity. You know, life in ministry is always an adventure. I am from, originally from Ohio, uh, wow. born and raised in the Youngstown area, uh, and have a mixture of experiences there with urban and mostly rural um, living in a small town, being raised in a small town, and then moved to Minneapolis, where um, I went to college, North Central, mm -hmm. met my husband, and we actually went on what we call our urban church planting tour. We started there <laughs> with a team of uh, church planters, and uh, Chris and Monica De Laurentiis still there going strong with Life Center, ICCM, mm -hmm. in Minneapolis. And then we went with the team to Harlem, New York. We helped plant New York City Church. And then we came out here to the Northwest about 19 years ago. And we started an urban outreach ministry called Seattle City Church. And so uh, it was an amazing about 12-year run of working with urban uh, ministries. And then we uh, switched gears. I have been working for the last almost 13 years now at the Northwest Ministry Network. And we are the Assemblies of God District Office. So we serve about 350 churches in Washington and North Idaho and about 1,400 ministers. So I often joke, you know, I, I spent, you know, a decade working with urban uh, church planting and now uh, over a decade with pastors. And I'm not quite sure which was more uh, difficult. <laughs> so, uh, I'm uh, married to oh, an incredible man. Uh, he's a filmmaker and he actually works at our office as well, does all of the production and filming. And then two adult kids. Uh, wow. Our daughter is 22, graduated from Northwest University, and our son's a sophomore, heading into a sophomore year at Southeastern. Wow, exciting. Well, a few things. I'm from Wally Ford, West Virginia, which is not too far from not Amistad, too far, Ohio. We're neighbors. That's, that's right. And uh, also <laughs> graduated, my wife and I both graduated from Southeastern. So okay, uh, we have fond memories, fond memories of Lakeland, Florida. So, hey, you you shared about that you spent some time at Urban Ministry and a lot. We begin most podcasts with um, discussing a lesson learned because we fa yeah. I found that normally 
uh, we learn a lot from less people's lessons yeah. they learn. It makes us realize yeah. that we're all human and we are all a work in progress. Is there a certain lesson, maybe a lesson you've learned in urban ministry and maybe in that the new, the season you're in now, a challenge sure. you went through or something that God, uh, God worked through you in a process? Yeah. Well, one that really stands out to me is ministry is messy. And if it's not messy, you're not doing it right. <laughs> uh, you know, I love the scripture that talks about how Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And it tells us in detail that he gets down on his hands and knees. He took out his outer garment. And can you imagine after scrubbing 12 nasty, you know, mud caked feet, what Jesus' garment looked like? Mm. He took on their mess. Yeah. And so uh, that's really what I learned from urban ministry. We got down on our hands and knees in the mess and the muck and the mire of people's real lives and real problems. Wow. We worked with uh, prostitutes, uh, drug addicts, uh, people caught in the gang lifestyle, and uh, we got messy. Hmm. Uh, but it's in the mess that we can truly show the love of Jesus to people. And that's, that's really where the work is. And that's where the life transformation happens. You know, yeah. uh, people don't get into places like that overnight. Yeah. And even with Jesus, their lives don't change overnight. And yet time after time, getting down, loving people where they're at, you see God start changing and transforming lives. And so that's really the beauty of what I learned uh, through all of those years in urban ministry. Yeah. And so if I do my uh, math correct, so you're, you would have had young kids at that time that you were doing. You right. Doing yeah. Yeah. Our kids were, were babies. Um, you know, we, we moved to New York when my son was only five weeks old. Wow. Uh, we were there for nine 11. We were at the trade centers the day before nine 11. And so that was a whole piece of our story as well. Uh, but yeah, we had kids and I remember uh, leading worship and my son, you know, sleeping in his car seat underneath the, the piano because we didn't have anybody to watch him yeah. and my daughter, you know, running around the church. And so, yeah, yeah life was, was messy there too with kids, <laughs> but, uh, that, it, but it was makes, a lot of fun. I'm sure it was. You know, that probably the majority of the audience are people who are living overseas. And that's one, you know, the idea of, hey, I'm going to uproot my family. We're going to move to wherever yeah. in the world and my kids and um, what's that going to look like? And you talk about getting right. messy and, and getting down in people's lives. How did you, ba not balance, but how did you walk through that having young kids? And, and my right. experience in the urban environment is not like a safe, um, clean, you know, I mean, it's right. not a perfect uh, biome. You know, your kids were probably um, in some difficult places. How did you balance right. that as a mother and as a minister and as a leader? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. Even though we weren't in overseas missions, we were U.S. missionaries. We yeah. were raising money just like our missionaries do. Right. Uh, and, you know, sometimes the money was there. Sometimes you just had to trust God for that next uh, yeah. grocery store run. Yeah. Um, but we never raised our kids around family. We were all, God always called us, you know, my mm. husband's family's from Nebraska. Like I said, I'm from Ohio. We've never lived in those places with our kids. And mm. so, um, you know, the amazing thing to me is that God always tended to fill in the blanks. He brought in you know, it, we, we hear that phrase, it takes a village, right? Yeah. God always just brought in people to my kids' lives to be that auntie, to be, uh, you know, those surrogate spiritual grandparents in their lives. And so 
you know, that was really important to us to make sure that we found that support and created that support network for our kids because it doesn't happen by accident. Hmm. Hmm. So I wanted to make sure that my kids had a firm foundation and uh, that they had other people, you know, in their lives. So I, I, I would request, I would, I would just be bold and go out and say, Hey, my kids don't have anybody. Can you help my kids? Cause we don't have family here. And you know, I remember a season in particular where my son was struggling in middle school and I just went to a a local pastor and said, Hey, we don't have family here. We're here kind of because of the call of God. Can you, can you help my son? Hmm. And, and I've never had anybody say no. <laughs> right? Uh, because the body, you know, when the body of Christ, that's what we are. We're a family and we need each other. Yeah. And uh, so just being very intentional about, about creating that, that network, that support network and that family network, even though it wasn't always blood. Uh, yeah. And, and we, we did try to get back to our families at least once a year too, and keep those connections. Of course, zoom, yeah, cell phones, all of that helped with, with that and keeping yeah. in touch with our families as well. Yeah. Good, good deal. You know, one of the, uh, in Africa we have, there's urban tribes, there's live dead, and then there's what they call NC squared. And so a uh-huh. lot, there's a certain segment of our, our missionary work that is going into urban context and even in around Europe and other places that are doing urban ministry. And honestly, for a guy like uh, me, who's been more focused on medical care and compassion ministries, understanding right. the complexities of uh, urban church planning and the complexities of that is, is, you know, I don't have any experience in it. How would you give some suggestions on how we could care or better walk alongside our urban church planners um, on the continent and around the world? Sure. It's a great question. And really, I I don't see, I don't differentiate missions from church planting too much. I mean, it's pretty similar. We talk about Paul and his church planting or his missionary journeys. Well, what was he doing? Well, he was really just planting churches, right? Right, Uh, right. But we call him his missionary journey. So I think there's a lot more in common with missions and church planting than we realize. Most, Hmm. uh, Most missionaries have to raise funds. Church planters have to raise funds. Missions missionary, they're starting new works. Church planters are starting new works. You know, th- right. so there's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities there. So I always wonder what if we, what if we approached our church planters with the same, um, you know, pray, give and go models yeah. that we do our missionaries. They need our yeah. prayers. They're in a spiritual battle. They need our money. <laughs> they, yeah. They're often starting from scratch. How can we give? I support some church planters uh, and, and give to them uh, monthly and sometimes just with special projects. And then what would it look like to go and just be a part of a special event or something where you can physically go and just be present? I remember when we were planting churches, um, especially outreaches during the summer, we would invite suburban churches to come in and they would bring Hmm. food, they would bring teams. And it was so amazing to physically have people there just Hmm. serving alongside of us. We didn't feel so alone. Yeah. So I think those are just some parallels that we can say, Hey, we can pray, we can give, we can go and serve. Uh, and, yeah. and the relational aspect too, as we all know, uh, ministry can be lonely because we are creating communities that we ourselves as leaders can't always be a part of. Yeah. So we need that relational uh, connection. So just befriending a church planter hmm. and reaching out to them in a relationship is huge. Yeah. 
No, that's it's it is it's it's a challenge. But for a guy like me who's never planted a church, you know, I know mm-hmm. there's unique unique challenges to it. And uh, mm-hmm. but it's great to draw the parallel between the two of missions. And uh, is you talked about um, going to North Central and um, being there in Minneapolis during that time or in your time in urban ministry? Did you ever or even now have is there been a mentor that you've learned? and that's um, invested in your life? And how did you learn for them? And, uh, and maybe some of the lessons that they've taught you. Yeah, so many. I mean, I think I, I realized probably early on that I couldn't do this alone, hmm. <laughs> that I was not smart enough, I was not strong enough, that I needed other people. And yeah. so one, one day I had a leader kind of sketch out on a napkin for me, the three different relationships that everybody needs in their lives. The number mm. one, uh, and if you can picture a stick figure, the, the first one over the stick figure's head would be those people who are pouring into you. These are your mm. mentors, your coaches. And then beside the stick figure though, they would be your peers, those unfiltered friends that are kind of in a similar season of life as you are. And then number three, those people below you, who are you discipling? Who are you raising up and investing in? We need all three of those. And so I very intentionally have built a network of um, mentors and coaches and uh, unfiltered friends. I meet uh, monthly with a group of five pastors all around the world, actually. It's a, a global mastermind group that I've built. We meet once a month for an hour and 15 minutes. Hmm. Um, I've got a, a pastor, a missionary in the Dominican Republic, one in Sweden. There's an inner city church planter in um, Chicago, inner city. And then uh, a friend of mine from, uh, she's from New Delhi, but she's in. Uh, Minneapolis and myself and we get together and this is where we take off all the pretense. We get raw, honest and real with each other Hmm. uh, about ministry and life. And we do life together and we do it on zoom and we've been doing it. uh, I've been a part of a mastermind group for eight years now and it has been life changing. And then on top of that, about quarterly, I meet with mentors and coaches that I just schedule. And I think intentionality is the key. Just getting it on the calendar, reaching out, to somebody who's further down the road that you want to learn from and you say, Hey, can I meet you for half an hour, 45 minutes? Can I take you out to coffee? Can I meet you on zoom? Uh, and making those conversations happen. And I, I've, my life has been changed. Every major decision I've made in life comes from those networks. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, even doing what I'm doing now, uh, getting my doctorate, I'm just finishing up my dissertation right now. All of that, I can trace back to conversations with those network of coaches and peer mentors in my life. Wow. Mastermind group. What is it? That's a new, that's a new one for me. What's a mastermind group look like? Is that, is just a, is it zoom group or what? Uh, yeah. Mastermind group. If you, you can go way back to like CS Lewis had a mastermind group. Uh, the guys that started, uh, Walt Disney had a mastermind group. So basically the concept is let's, let's get together with people who are colleagues in our same field and let's learn and grow from each other. Okay. Uh, and so that's what we do. So my mastermind group is pastors uh, and they're women pastors. And so I selected a group and what we do is everybody gets 15 minutes and we have a timer and everything. Every time we meet somebody's (laughs) the timekeeper, we have 15 minutes and it looks like this. I'll come to the group and I'll say, Hey, this is an area I'm challenged with. I have, I'm having a certain challenge with a staff or a conflict or something. And I'll say, what do you think? Mm. And I'll get 
responses from everyone in the group. Hey, have you checked out this book? This really changed the way that I lead and manage, especially with staff. Uh, somebody else will share a story about a similar situation and what they did. Somebody else will give me a word that they feel like the Lord uh, has put on their heart. And by the time I leave that meeting, I came in there with a problem and now I have a toolkit of all of these resources hmm. and accountability and somebody uh, praying and a prayer covering so that when I go out then now and try to solve that problem, I'm not doing it by myself. Wow. That's good. That's good. The other thing you've, I've heard you use the word intentional um, quite, uh, quite a few times. Is that yeah. where you have you all, has that been something you've nurtured and as you've um, grown spiritually that the intentionality, or is that something that you've always been an intentional person and focused and um, yeah, just because I think at times we think we're, we're going to just fall into circumstances or we're going right. to drift into intentionality. Right. I've just never right. seen that happen. And so yeah, I just want to unpack a little bit about your, in, your yeah. focus well, on intentionality. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it is kind of one of those key markers of my life and leadership is, is that word intentionality. I, I'm an eight, just full disclosure. Okay. I'm an eight <laughs> on the Enneagram. Okay. So I tend to be the challenger. I tend to always be the person with the plan. Like when we yeah. go on vacation, I kind of, we don't just fall into it. I, yeah. I, I have a plan. <laughs> I know what we're going to do, make reservations ahead of time, you know? Yeah. Um, but I did read a, a book called The Intentional Woman mm -hmm. probably about 12 years ago that really challenged me that especially relationships uh, in your life don't happen by accident. If you're hmm. not, um, if you're not calculated and, 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 you know, a dream without a vision, uh, you know, uh, you know, just, or a, a dream without a date really yeah. just stays a dream, right? That's right. Um, and you know, if you aim for nothing, you hit it every time. So right. I think there's a lot of us that have a lot of great ideas and, and uh, about especially relationships that we would like to happen, but they don't ever really happen because we don't initiate and hmm. we don't put, do the simple little things like reach out and put a date on the calendar. Like yeah. I schedule my mastermind groups in nine month increments, September okay. through May. They're on my calendar. Yeah. I don't even have to think about it because I know the last Thursday of every month I'm meeting with my group and, yeah. I, and it's the highlight of our month, by the way, yeah. <laughs> it's a place where we can kind of be ourselves. We were around other leaders, like-minded leaders who get yeah. us. We don't have to explain ourselves. Uh, if we're having a tough day, it's okay if we break down. If one right. of us shows up and we just, we're angry and we're upset, it's, it's okay. So uh, yeah, I, I do approach ministry very much intentionally, but I was not always like that. Okay. Was there a shift? Yeah. Was there? Did, was... <clears throat> yeah, I think for me, um, you know, I was tired of being lonely. I think I realized it, it, there was a moment where I woke up and had a light bulb moment of clarity that I was a lonely leader. Hmm. And then I read that book and I was like, you know what? I don't have to be like this. Life, hmm. God has more. God hmm. created us. I mean, we read in scripture about how we're the body of Christ, right? Yeah. That we're all supposed to be connected. And yet as a leader, even though from the outside, people would look at my life and think, wow, she's doing such great things. On the inside, I was so lonely hmm. and I was so disconnected. And I thought, I don't want to live like this. Yeah. And if I don't want to live like this, I'm going to have to do something about it. Yeah. And so I started putting, I, I started scheduling friend time. Okay. It's good. Scheduling friend time, which sounds almost uh, a little bit, um, you know, rigid. And yet 
um, don't we schedule time with our spouses yeah. and people who are important with us and uh, yeah. to us? Yeah. Uh, I spend, I schedule date night with my husband. I yeah. schedule time with my kids so we yeah. can have quality time. And so it's, you know, things like that typically don't happen by accident. Hmm. And so I've, I've been a lot, I've taken control of my calendar uh, mm-hmm. not just with ministry, because I think I always just had a natural bent to organize, plan, strategize with ministry. But I, I let that seep over and translate to my personal life with, with my relationships and with my coaches and my mentors. That's good. That is good. And so are, are there some unique challenges? You've, uh, you obviously are doing your doctoral work, and um, so you're, you're focused on, on, I would assume, well, I shouldn't assume. Is it in leadership or what is your doctoral your Yeah, doctoral interesting. Focus? So my master's was in missional leadership from okay. Northwest University. And my doctorate actually is from Southeastern. Uh, it's an EDD. So it's a doctorate in educational leadership with a focus and an emphasis on organizational leadership. Wow. Cool deal. So that's where I'm going. I'm actually researching church plant training uh, strategies uh, from the Assemblies of God. And that's uh-huh. what my whole uh, dissertation is focused around. Very, very cool. So as a female leader, um, ministering in an urban context and may, in the, the ministry you're doing now, have you run into some unique challenges that maybe uh, uh, a guy like me wouldn't understand um, as, as a male? <laughs> yeah. I've never been a female. Um, right. And so one of the purposes and focuses of this podcast is we have, I have been, I have tried to be um, very intentional to use your your word, (laughs) intentional uh, that this is a diverse podcast, that it's not just a bunch of white guys like me um, talking, but rather we have female voices, uh, racially diverse voices speaking into this. And um, one of the goals is for us, for men to understand some of the unique challenges that women faced in ministry and not just Mm -hmm. for us to understand them. But then how can we partner with our sisters in Christ and um, so that we can work better, more effective and more efficiently right. together? Yeah. Well, I appreciate the question. And, you know, here's, here's the, the two-sided coin that we, we live with. So as a part of the Assemblies of God, we know that in America, we were ordaining women in the Assemblies of God before women had the right to vote yeah, in America, right? Yeah. And yet... Uh, so we come, we have this rich heritage. You walk around uh, museums with, with the Assemblies of God and you see women church planters and, you know, women doing just anything and everything. Yeah. Uh, and yet we have, we're in this season where our beliefs do not always align with our behaviors. Hmm. When you look at the statistics right now of women in leadership, they're, they're kind of shocking. So nationwide, there's in America, there's 24% women uh, ministers in the assemblies of God. That's really high. Hmm. And yet only 5% of those women are in lead roles. Uh, there are 0% of women serving in geographical district offices. So you know yeah. how there's the, the That's superintendent, right. assistant superintendent, secretary, treasurer, that, that model right. that we have in the assemblies of God, only in the Hispanic district do we have women serving in those roles but our our geographical um anglo uh led um districts don't have a single woman i think uh presbytery women serving in the presbytery somewhere around 1.5 percent uh in the executive presbytery roles across the nation and so we have a long ways to go uh, yeah. to really uh, say, hey, if we do believe that women belong uh, in the body of Christ and as leaders, why aren't women in leadership positions? Yeah. And so um, 
interestingly, in my urban church planting years, I never really had pushback uh, hmm. being a woman. First of all, uh, we were reaching people who were far from God. They didn't yeah. have religious baggage. Yeah. They didn't have a history of a church that they could compare anything to. Okay. So they just wanted Jesus and they didn't yeah. care who was giving them Jesus. If you were a man <laughs> or a woman, it didn't matter. Just give me Jesus. It's really only our established churches. You know, some of the churches we work with here, uh, our network just celebrated our centennial last year, a hundred years. So yeah. a lot of our established churches uh, in their bylaws still restrict women from serving uh, on the board or as elders. Hmm then are we not surprised that women aren't serving at higher level leaders if we can't even include them in the leadership uh, in the church? And so it's really only been in the structured uh, churches that, that there is that major disconnect. I received a, a call just a few weeks ago, one of our most influential pastors of our largest church here, uh, one of our larger churches in the Northwest said, hey, we're working on changing our bylaws yeah. to include women as elders and on the board. Can mm. you help me? with hmm. some of the theology and how to pitch this to my church. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, it's 2020. <laughs> We've been ordaining women for over a hundred years. And this is the conversation we're having right now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's definitely, um, I, I work with a team of incredible men in leadership, but I'm the only woman on a team of six other white men. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, I have a very different experience as you can imagine on that team. Uh, just by nature of how it works. And That's right. so, so we, we've come a long way and yet we have a very long way to go. I'm hopeful yeah. for the next generation. Um, yeah. I believe that um, leaders like yourself that are aware that, Hey, we need, in, we need to intentionally in, include other voices. Yeah. And I want people to lead who uh, beside me, who don't always look like me and think like me and act like me. Uh, I think we just need, to value diversity in our movement enough to do something about it. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And that's the, 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 the knowledge is not enough. It's the action part. And yeah. as you said, a dream without a date or uh, it, we're going to, it's yeah. still going to be a dream. It's still going to be an idea, but um, the intentionality to, to arrive there. Is there certain, is there a certain um, maybe a challenge that maybe, that you've run into, you don't have to mention names and places and people, but there's a certain challenge you have run into a female leader that you've seen happen more than one time. That's a common thing that you we're dreaming today and we can't put a date on it, but one thing, maybe one thing that you would like to see changed, um, yeah. or if we could dream for the future where we're each person is valued in dignity and, and love and not mm -hmm. just in our minds, but in our heart and in our actions in our hands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say the thing that I see the most is, is pastors and leadership have not always um, even thought of asking uh, when they're, when they're interviewing for an open staff position, for example, at a church. Hmm. Uh, I have a dear friend, he's a lead pastor, and he shared this very vulnerable moment uh, with me in, in, a, in a class, actually a master's class. He said he needed a youth pastor. So he called the president of uh, Northwest University. He said, hey, you got any young youth pastor guys up there? I need a youth pastor. And the president responded, well, yeah, I've, I've got some guys, but I also have some really sharp women who have <laughs> trained and who are called and who would do an incredible job. And at that moment, the pastor paused and he said, 
he was honest and he said, I never, the thought never crossed my mind hmm. to consider a woman for a hmm. youth pastor position. Yeah. And I kind of, I'm friends with this guy. So I kind of raised my hand in class and I said, so give me some insight. He goes, I said, ask, I asked him, I said, why, why haven't, why weren't women on your radar basically? Yeah. And he said, well, how would it be for staff meetings? We, we, we go to retreat sometime and, and it's all guys and we brought on a woman. It would just change everything. It would basically break up the good old boy club. <laughs> and, uh, Which is what and we want to do. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I, if, if men could just be open yeah. to looking at resumes and it's two-sided women need to step up and put their resumes in yeah. for open positions more yeah. women need to to be uh, more confident and, and intentional keep coming yeah. back to that word yeah. about putting in uh their, submitting their resume for open ministry positions but men also need to say hey is if diversity is really important to me i'm going to hire differently yeah, that's good. You know, I've been working um, with my coach on collaboration and the idea that, you know, there's the heart, the head and the hands. And that's yes. been, I think, in my experience, so speak for me, um, that it's not been a head problem and it's not been a heart problem, but it's the hands problem of how this is going to be put into action. And that is in my life, that's where I've stumbled and that's where because it is easier it is easier just to go with what i know and um without that intentionality i don't drift towards diversity i drift towards people that look like me act like me and think like me but at the same time we're stronger if we have people that don't look like me act like me and think like me because that's the diversity part of it so anyway i'm learning a lot i got a long ways to go and um and he's being patient with me in the process so Is there anybody, last question, um, is there anybody that you're currently learning from? And and any books you're reading, anybody you're currently learning from? Um, Yeah, well, my current book, I'm reading Canoeing Through the Mountains uh, by Todd Boltzinger. incredible book about adaptive leadership, which I Hmm. think with 2020, uh, if we need to learn anything, it's how to be adaptive leaders because we're going to have to flex here. Uh, you know, Latasha Morrison, uh, has, uh, be the bridge, a great podcast about racial, um, issues, especially in the church. Hmm. The great thing is with technology, the people that I choose to mentor me don't need to know me. That's good. That's a good word there. Right? So I have a, you know, smorgasbord of people all over who, you know, Mark Batterson's of the world and, um, you know, Christine Kane uh, and others who speak into my life that maybe we've never met or they don't know me. And yet then I also have those heroes of the faith, um, you know, Jody Dietrich and a missionary, by the name of Rosemary Kowalski, hmm. uh, Kim Martinez, other women who I do know, and they know me and they, they know my story and I can call them, uh, and say, Hey, what are you doing uh, yeah. about this? How are you leading through this? Uh, hmm. Tell me what's working for you. What's not working for you. Uh, so again, uh, there is no limit to our support network. Uh, Harvard business review re- revealed a, a study, uh, and they, if you Google power of the pack, Harvard business review, it'll, it'll pop up, but they, they showed that women who have a ne- well networked group of other women in their lives are more successful. Yeah. Of course they were comparing it to bottom line and some financial things, uh, factors, 
but even in ministry that can cross over and that can cross over not with just men but with with men and women we need to build those support networks and we need other people investing in our lives so those are just a few uh, of the ways um, from personal people that I get to know and, and invite them into my sacred space in my life, but also just, I'd listen to a podcast every morning. So I list, yeah. I average about six podcasts a week. Yeah. Um, and you can listen to a lot when you're getting oh, ready man. in the morning, when you're you doing can. your workout and all of that stuff. I'm a, I'm an avid podcast listener. So I, I listen to a ton. I consume a ton. And someone said, how do you remember it all? I said, I don't need to remember it all. If I only remember 25% right. of it, that's, that's yep. still more 25% more than I knew before I started the day. And, um, right. and so it is, and we're, you know, God, God speaks into our hearts and lives in, in many different ways. And I think, you know, I've said it before on this podcast, that is something that we can learn from female leaders is just what you mentioned there, the network and the idea of sharing friends. Um, mm -hmm. Female leaders are way beyond, um, at least me and the people that I run into when it comes to sharing friends. Um, female leaders share freely their friends. They, they're willing to connect with others with their friends because they see the value of that. And our, the male counterparts, at least that I've run into, so I'll, I'll preface of that, not as quick to do that. And not as quick. And I, the reality of it is, I don't know if men, if we don't have those networks, um, but there's a hesitation there that female leaders, they're willing to connect, they're willing to share friends and man, there's super value in that because we do need each other. And um, right. uh, I think that is, there's many lessons we can learn, but that is, that is definitely one on high on the list. Last question. I, I said I was, that was the last one, but if you humor <laughs> me for just one more, what's something you're excited about for the future? Oh, goodness. I think that what we have seen happened in 2020 with Jesus, basically, uh, not Jesus didn't do this, but what I, but kind of similar to what happened to the first century church when they were kind of um, persecuted, they had to scatter. And so mm -hmm. with what's happened with COVID and this uh, pandemic and churches having to shut down, it's actually gotten our focus off of our gatherings and got us more missionally focused on going. How can hmm. we actually be reaching more people? Uh, so I think that's the silver lining of what's happening in that shift happening, especially in the American church that, oh, we can't gather. Well, what, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to continue to be the church that God's called us to be. We're going to continue to be a light to the lost. We're going to uh, be more involved in our communities. We're going to meet physical needs. We're going to take care of the widow and the orphans, and we're going to get out there and we're going to be the church. So instead of going to church, that's kind of just been wiped off uh, or at least put on pause for this season. But I think there's more of an emphasis. Oh, I can't go to church. Well, how can I still be the church? That's so great. I'm most excited to see the ripple effects of that. Yeah. Um, I don't think everybody has gotten that yeah. uh, by any stretch, but yet I feel like there's enough that are like, wow, we can't meet. Well, what else can we do? Let's continue to go. And uh, so that's exciting to me. Yeah, that's a good word. Beth, would you pray for the audience and in whatever direction God leads and guides you in that, but just pray for the audience. God will use this conversation and uh, focus on intentionality and the lessons we've learned from you today. Um, mm -hmm. So it doesn't remain head knowledge, but we'll apply it to our lives. Amen. Jesus, I just thank you for each and every leader uh, listening to this podcast right now. God, I pray that if there are any lonely leaders uh, like I was that are listening, that, that 
Holy Spirit, you would just um, help them be bridge builders to build networks of relationships in their lives, that they would not suffer in silence, that they would reach out to a friend or a mentor or maybe even somebody they don't even know yet uh, and build those support networks in their lives. Jesus, you called us to be a body. You said we need each other. We're indispensable, that we need each other. And Lord, I, I just pray for healthy, strong relationships to be forged and even birthed out of this season of really just loneliness for many of us. Many of us, I myself included, have been working uh, from my office in my bedroom the last over three months. And God, we're lonely and we're desiring and we're hungry for relationships. And so I pray that you would surround uh, leaders with the right relationships, help them choose wisely the relationships that they decide to build on, Lord. And, and ultimately, Jesus, I pray that you would help us realize we're never alone. You promised to never leave us alone. And Jesus, you promised to be our anchor in, in uncertain times in 2020, if anything has been an uncertain roller coaster ride. Jesus, you are ultimately our anchor and we hold on to you. So I pray that those who are discouraged, maybe they're just feeling even a bit hopeless, Lord, that you would remind us that our hope is in you and that you've provided this incredible, beautiful thing called the body of Christ to do life together. We don't have to do it alone. We were never meant, we were never meant to do it alone. Even your very nature of the Trinity of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you modeled community and you desire for us to live out that community each and every day in our lives and in our leadership. So I thank you. I pray for favor and blessings. And I pray even the, the hard times of this year, Lord, that you would open up new doors of opportunity, God. Just as I've seen you do in my life, I've had to shut down events that I was planning only for you to do new things and fresh things, Lord. And so we look forward to what you're doing. We, we believe you are still on the throne, God. This pandemic has not caught you by surprise, Lord, that you have great things ahead for each and every one of us. So I pray for your favor and your blessings on each and every leader in Jesus' mighty name.